0: It is the technology show where we translate geek into regular speak. So uh, I have no other catchphrase to add this week, except for "It's not raining where I am, but it is raining where I was." And I'm going to use that as my uh, my segue into today's show. So uh, let's go into the screen, bring up our slides, and uh, get into things with a Z. So I, well. most of the world that follows daylight saving. It is normally the first Sunday of April that the clocks change. We are in the southern hemisphere so in our instance the clocks went back. The problem that I have is that I live in Queensland and in Queensland we do not have daylight saving. So for all of summer we are actually one hour behind the rest of the eastern starboard which is mainly um, Sydney and Melbourne. So the problem is is that if someone has a workday that starts at 8.30 and wants a meeting at 8.30, it's actually 7.30 for me. So it kind of sucks. And I also don't get the benefit of uh, 8 or 9 o'clock at night sun like they do uh, in the low-down regions. However, the balance does come in the darker months or in the winter months. The reason why things with the Z is all about daylight saving today is last week, as you know, I was in Sydney presenting at the um, SMB Digital Expo and leaving Gold Coast, and going to Sydney I actually lost an hour because I left here and arrived there effectively two hours later because I was one hour behind. So then when I had to wake up the next morning I'd actually lost another hour because I was still on my own home clock, at least my body was, but the time said I was actually an hour ahead. Then I flew back and gained an hour but I was now tired from having the extra hour and then the clocks turned back on Sunday which means we're now in the same time as everyone else in Sydney and Melbourne. So I have lost and gained and now find myself on the same number of hours. So why is this all relevant to things with a Z? Well, it kind of feels like jet lag. That's what I've been going through for the last few days. So I thought, um, let me actually see, what do I normally do when I travel? And then you know, I had to kind of like, get my brain around all these things again, because it's it's been a while. So. One thing is how to manage your sleep. And there's multiple ways of doing it. There's multiple things. I've reviewed some of the cool tech on the show before, from headbands that help you meditate and go to sleep, sleep stories from a company called Muse. Um, I've also looked at, I'm trying to think, there was uh, Somnify. was this device that kind of listens and helps you breathe. But just a simple app to measure, your not to measure your sleep, but to actually control your sleep, is the alarm clock. Now, a lot of people get this wrong. They set an alarm that has this absolute jolt reaction. So let's say you want to wake up at 8.30 in the morning. You set the alarm and uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking all over, but I've got multiple screens going everywhere. So you set your alarm and at 8.30, the uh, alarm goes off and you just rip yourself out of sleep, okay? Not cool, not good actually for you either. So for things with a Z this week, I'm going to go and revisit an app that I I have reviewed many years ago and I still use it every single day of my life and that is called sleep cycle. Now I have put some screenshots up for the people that are actually watching as opposed to listening to the show but what sleep cycle does is it it actually listens to your breathing and your rhythms to see when you are asleep, when you are in deep sleep, when you are in light sleep and it has a half an hour buffer so, for example, I've actually got up on the screen. So, for people that say to me, when I tell people that I really only get like five hours sleep a night, I now have photographic proof. This Tuesday, that's yesterday. I was in bed for five and a half hours, and I had four hours and 52 minutes of sleep. I'm waiting for my mother or father to jump on now and start giving me a lecture about this and how bad it is for me. It is what it is. I have put the other slide up there on the statistics to show that my general sleep quality and general time, um, it's pretty okay i average as you can see you know 80 90 percent on then uh for some reasons tuesdays and mondays well i know on mondays and tuesdays are always bad but they're really bad but what's important is again that if you're watching if you're not i'm gonna i'll explain through as well the last two or re- two little bars that you can see there on monday and tuesday and they're both terrible tuesday was bad and monday was even worse and the point is that i've actually jet lagged my body so what this app does as i said it listens to when you in a a lighter stage of sleep, and then it triggers the alarm. It has a half an hour buffer. So if I've set my alarm, for example, for 8.30, um, it might actually start waking me at 8.07, because it's determined I'm at the lightest point where I'm not going to just be ripped out of sleep. Um, And this is important, because a lot of people so they like to use the snooze function. I don't ever use the snooze function. I get woken up, Um, And then I I, I do snooze, but I am snoozing before my actual time of waking up, as opposed to snoozing past the time of waking up, because I have already been woken up and brought into it. So, I thought it would be cool to revisit um, the Sleep Cycle app, just basically because um, we all changed our clocks. This is the kind of tool that you probably should start using anyway, regardless of uh, daylight saving. Um, but if we are going to start travelling again, like I said, I, I got to fly for the first time in, I don't know, I think it is two years now, um, you know, so it is kind of all a bit new. went through passport control and all those wonderful things. Um, so yeah, Sleep Cycle app, I do believe it is available on Android as well. I use it obviously on my iPhone, test, have to get Apple in there for you, um, and I am sure I will get Apple into the rest of the show somewhere as well. So yeah, Sleep Cycle app, um, start learning to sleep better. And uh, although this is a show about advice, please don't follow my bad sleeping patterns. They're really not fun. Right, so what have we got in tech news? Um, so shots fired. And no, I haven't fast-forwarded to are you game? Um, Google has taken aim at my goal. Let me give you a little bit of a backstory. So every year, Google does like a, an opinion poll. A lot of companies do. But one of the things that they seem to focus on is kind of the government sector and the government industries. Um, And it makes sense, right? Because the governments are the ones that are always giving them a hard time as well when it comes to what they can and can't do and their policies and so on. But in this specific instance, Google's taken aim at Microsoft because basically they found out that um, about 50% of uh, government employees would actually like a choice when it comes to the tools that they use in their business, or in their job, sorry. So I think, or probably has been confirmed as well. Governments are just too lazy to change. It's so easy to just go with the legacy and just keep adding on. And that's kind of what Microsoft is is banking on, right? You invested in Office 20 years ago, whatever it was, and you just keep updating every single year. Now maybe you're on Office 365. Um, But hey, there are other choices out there. Uh, I'm on a Mac. um, I use a Chromebook as well. And I've actually reviewed my Chromebook that I use. And you know, there are choices out there. And, and there's probably better choices, at least in some of the things that you can do with, with technology. So yeah, um, as I said, Google, Google's done the review, they've taken shots, and and, and the, the summary which I would agree is that government is lazy. Um, you know, they put things out to tender, but you could like read the tenders, right? Um, need need a supplier to update and take over Microsoft 365, or um, what's Microsoft server called Azure, Azure server management, or so on and so on. So, you know, maybe the message out there to governments as well is speak to your people, like have a chat to them and see what they actually want. Um, Yeah. Okay, so next, I'm actually gonna stay with Google. So um, I mentioned the Chromebook, Chromebooks are nearly ready to run Steam now if you don't know what Steam is basically Steam is the online place where you go and buy your games Uh, if you're going to specifically on PC you go into your Steam account you buy your game whether it's Valorant or Rainbow Six Siege or whatever it is and it also helps you control your online account so that you can play online now why is this news well it's quite important so Um, Mac has been able to run Steam games for quite some time now. There's still a lot of games that it can't run, and there's kind of a little bit of tinkering that you need to do. Personally, I don't game on my Mac. If I'm going to game, I'll game on the Xbox, um, because it actually is a bit more tricky, and I hate saying that, but it's fact. But the reason why it's important for Chromebooks is that Chromebooks are kind of still trying to find their place in, in, in this world, you know. I've just mentioned that they could be used in offices. Their battery lives are incredible, which has made them quite a nice choice for scholars and in, in school industry. However, um, people are looking for an all-round machine. You know, if a parent's going to cop a thousand dollars, let's say, on a computer for school, they're going to kind of want their computer to do everything. So, even when the kids finish playing, uh, finish playing since into finish playing school, when the kids are finished at school, um, you know, you, you actually then they can still use it to to browse the internet, or, uh, I don't know, um, play games. So, you know, if you use a PC, then you can do that. Um, If you don't, then uh, your problem is is that you've got to buy another machine or have a console or something like that. So it is important that um, Chromebooks are now going to actually start um, being able to run Steam. I say about or nearly, um, the specs required are still... Quite high. And this applies to anything, even for PC. If you're going to play the big games, you need a big rig, you need a proper machine. So, from what I've been able to see, the, the, the machines that have been testing and saying that they've actually successfully, obviously in beta, um, seem to be Asus and Acer um, that seem to be leading this race. Now, uh, both of those brands do play in the PC gaming industry as well. So, that, I mean, Asus has got quite a few pretty decent uh, uh, gaming laptops in their mix or their lineup. Um, but maybe if the Chromebooks can start supporting Steam and show that they can and becoming more of an all-rounder, even incredible battery life, affordability, um, everything that you kind of need as you turn it on. And uh, now you'll be able to pay Steam as well. So it becomes an entertainment device as well. So, yeah, quite exciting to to see that, um, that happening. Um, ah, okay. So the right to repair, now this is quite a contentious issue for a lot of the you know the manufacturers, the Apples, the Samsungs, uh, anyone else for that matter that makes technology. And the reason for that is that consumers are saying we should have the right to repair our own devices and not have to take it into, let's say with Apple, take my iPhone into the Apple store, pay an astronomical amount of money because I am paying the genius, still wonder about that terminology and that naming. Um, So I think it was about November last year that Apple did allow the right to repair. In other words, you can repair your own device at home. They supply you with a kit and a couple of videos and open up your iPhone and change whatever it is, whether it's your battery or whether it was a screen that it cracked or something like that. Samsung has now finally caught up to the the race as well, but they've limited it. It's only the S20 and the S21 family of products, Galaxy. Um, and I think they've included the Tab S7 Plus as well, which is also the Galaxy, um, and not the new 22. Now, I think that also makes sense. You know, at first I read the article, I was like, okay, well, you, you've got a flagship, but you don't know how to have the right to repair. I think there's quite an obvious answer to that, though. The S22 is just launched. It's still under warranty. So if something goes wrong with it, I'm talking about a battery or failure on a camera or something like that, you shouldn't need to repair it yourself. You should be able to walk into your Samsung store or your retailer and get it A, repaired or be replaced. So um, I'm not begging on them for that as to where it's limited. Apple did go the other way and I think it's all the way from the 10. So it's the 10, 11, 12 and 13 that you can repair at home uh, or yourself. So yeah, it, it will. It, it, I think it's interesting though, purely as I said that you've paid for the device, you own the device. Um, and if you wanted to do it outside of its one-year warranty, you don't have to go and actually pay Apple's pricing for it. So, just by the way, uh, in Australia, even though it is a one-year warranty on most Apple products, if not all of them, according to the Australian Consumer Council, which is our watchdog, it's actually two years. And I've put it to the test. I did have a problem with my iPhone. Yes, iPhones do have problems. This instance was battery. Um my device was about 18 months or 19 months old. I took it in and they were actually quite clear on the the job card. It said out of warranty but will be replaced uh, replaced or repaired under the Australian Consumer Council ruling. So it's good to know. Um, I'm 99.9% sure that would uh, include a Samsung and it's pretty much any big ticket item, you know something that you're spending significant money on, you would actually probably get an extended warranty um, just under the Australian consumer protection. Um, ah, Mr. Musk, Elon Twitter Musk, in fact we should take this first tweet since the announcement, turn that into an NFT and maybe get more than Jack got for his. Anyway, so Elon Musk has bought 9.2% stake or shares of Twitter, it makes him the biggest single shareholder. Now, the last week or so he's been moaning about social networks and we kind of all expected him to build another one like uh, Donald did. Hey, maybe I'll let Donald back into Twitter. Who knows? Anyway, I don't know where he stands with Donald. Um, but, you know, he's been moaning about it and I kind of thought, okay, well, he moaned about traffic, he built the boring company in tunnels under the road, he moaned about cars, he built Tesla and so on and so on. I mean, that's what he does. I'm, I was quite. I was surprised, but I was also relieved that he didn't go down the route of of creating another social network. We don't need another social network. Um, the the stakeholding that he has now acquired actually gives him a board seat as well. So he will now be a director on the board of Twitter. Now I've always loved Twitter. Uh, you may or probably would not know this, but I'm actually a certified Twitter trainer on certain models or modules rather. Um, for agencies. So I actually, during the course of the year, um, get to spend some time with a lot of the big agencies here doing training of, of certain um, components of Twitter. So anyone wants to know anything about Twitter or interested in Twitter or finding out more about Twitter, hit me up. Um, so yeah, let's see, Elon on the board, maybe future CEO in the making, don't know. Um, and I'd really be interested to see if uh, if Donald gets back. If anyone knows the answer to that, let me know, because I don't know if, I mean, Elon can also swing like the like a, a barn door, um, you know, one day he likes something and he doesn't like something, so who knows. Uh, what else do we have? Okay, so now I'm getting to our you game. So you game, what have we got this week? Well, first of all, shout out to the Wolves. Every week I try and cover something on the Wolves. That's one of the esports teams that I work with here. Um Quite a few victories this week. So, we had victories in the week. We had victories. Uh, there was a victory in Halo, and there was some victories in Siege. Siege is, Rainbow Six Siege is the game that I love. Cannot play it. What well, I've tried is get absolutely brutally murdered. But uh, yeah, the the mighty Devils uh, got some victories there. So, well done boys and girls and everyone in between. Um, I was in Sydney last week, as I mentioned on the show two weeks ago and, uh, mentioned a little bit earlier on in this show as well. Um, so I actually didn't get to play any games this week. I know it sounds strange. I always play on my mobile phone. Um, I do recall putting this slide up two weeks ago and saying I actually based my, my presentation around this game, which is the art of war and obviously Sun Tiles, uh, art of war. Um, so yeah, I didn't actually get to play any games. Um. I will be playing some games this week and in fact there's one game i was looking at so next week hopefully for r oh, u game there's a, a new review um and i've actually uh, re-signed my apple arcade so to start supporting some of the indie game developers so i'm probably going to start looking for some games there to actually review and maybe share with you as well so that if you're looking for something on, on the indie side um yeah help you cut through the clutter i do have a little bit more um, gaming news so netflix has announced and released a trailer for a new Tekken anime series. Now, for those of you that remember playing Tekken, and this is, I think it was, I'm going to say 1997, I think it's somewhere there, mid 90s, Tekken came out. So it was like pre console. I mean, what's that like? Atari or Sega or something like that. I don't know. I don't remember. But I definitely remember playing Tekken. It's kind of a Mortal Kombat fighty fight game uh, platformer. So. It's quite exciting and hopefully Cade will like it because um, it will give us another anime show to watch. It's proper anime. In uh, it, it is dubbed, but it's also been, it, it will have um, native Japanese with subtitles. Um, so for the pure anime fans, because there's been a lot of like hate and flexing about the fact that if it's dubbed, then it's not anime. Um, it'll also give us something to watch while we wait for the next release of the next batch of the final season of Attack on Titan. Super bleak about that. We waited till you, know, you wait all week for an episode, and they only released one. And there's probably like another five or six to go before the actual end. So, well done! Thanks for for screening us over there. Um, uh, but yeah, so while we wait for Attack on Tide in Cape, uh, maybe teach you a little bit of old school gaming and Tekken, probably knows it. Um, so yeah, that's my RU game for the week. So, QA. This week's Q&A is going to hurt, uh, as in hurt the head. And in in fact, the whole show is uh, um, about translating geek into regular speak. So the question that I got in was, uh, it was actually a statement and a question. So the running network got hacked last week. Um, So why use proof of stake instead of proof of work systems like Bitcoin? That was the question. I won't lie that I didn't have a clue what these people were talking about. So, I had to do a little bit of research, and that's why I actually already had my question and answer um, lined up for the for today, as opposed to looking to see what had come through. So, let's try and unpack this a little bit further. So, let's translate Geek into regular speak, and let's unpack a few of the components of what I just said. I remember reading something about Ronin Network. So, Ronin Network is a trading platform and has a blockchain. What I read, though, when I did the research, is that $625 million in Ethereum and USD coin were hacked. Now, the blockchain is designed as, as a complex ledger that records all the transactions. I, so, I can't even speak, such big lingo. So, it records all the transactions, predominantly crypto, and therefore provides a trail or a record of these transactions. But the transactions have to be validated and this occurs using validator nodes so stay with me here right we've got uh, um, what's it let's just review the, the components we've got proof of stake and proof of work those are the two things that we're working which one's better or why would one blockchain use one not the other right so now we're going to throw into that mix as well um, validator nodes so this is when two different types are uh, um, two different questions or two different types of things are asked in in this question that come into play. The proof of stake requires that these nodes, these validator nodes, review the transaction and confirm that the inputs and the outputs match. So if you think about like accountancy, if you ever did accountancy at school, and my dad's an accountant, they have what they call the double entry system. So on the general ledger, you've got, if money comes in, it has to be allocated somewhere. So if you spend money on on a desk, then you would have to write under furniture on the balance sheet that you'd spent money. And that's the double entry. And it's just to make sure that do- the transactions are always being captured. The blockchain's no different. So they have these inputs and outputs and they have to match it, right? Now, they are less, the, the, uh, the proof of stake requires less energy. That One of the big things, and in fact we spoke about Elon Musk earlier, why he, was, he then went cold in crypto for a while is because it consumes so much energy. I think for a guy that owns an electricity company or electricity creation and storage company, that wouldn't be an issue. Anyway, so this uses um, less energy, which makes it greener, okay? Uh, but it does come at a cost because these are more susceptible to attacks, hence the running network. Um, the miner, which is the person that's now mining Bitcoin, and these are the terminology that you should probably be across, he actually pledges a stake of digital currency hence the proof of stake before they validate the transaction so the miners capacity to validate these blocks depends on how many coins they have and how many of these they put up for stake so it's like almost they're guaranteeing that they're going to do the work or the machines will do the work and also how long they've been validating so it's kind of like a if you have been validated and you've been doing validating work and you have coins and you put coins up as stake then you're allowed to be this validation node that will validate the transaction. Proof of work on that hand, and oh, this is hurting my head. The proof of work on the other hand requires the super fast um, and highly spec machines. These are the ones that use lots of energy. You've seen those pictures of these big mining farms. The reason why we can't get graphics cards uh, because crypto miners are buying them all up. Um, and they actually use a consensus of algorithms. So the crypto algorithm, What the miners have to do or mining machines need to do is actually solve the algorithm by trial and error. So what it's doing is it's testing and trying to solve this algorithm. And in so doing, it's actually validating itself and making a note that that transaction occurred and to prove it, that it was the machine that validated it, uh, proof of work, they solved the algorithm. Now, I know I've oversimplified that. Uh, I am by no means an expert in crypto uh, blockchain or any of these things but that was the question so I don't know if this person had sent the question and was just trying to <laughs> make me do extra work and and I did I had to research it because I honestly did not know what the answer to that question was um, so after all of this it, it <laughs> does your head hurt as, my, as much as mine so it's like proof of stake proof of work uh, I like my steak well done um, with mushroom or pepper sauce that would be the only steak I want to see after this so I actually don't know if I've answered this question, if I've confused everyone even more. Um, but this is kind of, what I can take away from this this question is that this is the world of crypto, right, and blockchain. What might seem to be quite a simplistic thing um, in the sense of what it does, it records, or it, it moves crypto. It's actually very complex. Um, and, you know, what concerns me is I've always been led to believe that the whole idea behind crypto and that was the security, was the validation. Yeah, I was not aware. So, thank you for asking the question. I was not aware that um, there were these two different types of validation and one was weaker than the other. But at $625 million lesson that someone just learned or a company just learned. Um, yeah, now we know. So, if you are setting up a blockchain, Like Bitcoin for example, so Bitcoin works on the proof of work principle where the algorithm has to solve um, the block. So yes, I still kind of feel, I kind of feel like I didn't even answer that question, and maybe even just confuse things even more, but I suppose it has to happen every now and then. I'm not a walking techopedia, Um, and if anyone would love to come on and talk about this further, please reach out, Um, I would love to sit back and learn about this but you would have to really take it down to like five-year-old level for me, please. So uh, yeah, that uh, brings us to the end of the show. That's Q&A. That means there's probably nothing else to do but just say, until next time, keep your screens clean and your knob shiny.